So hello, welcome to another episode of Beats and Bleeps. I'm your host, Anthony. Today, I'm joined by Annette Walker, a.k.a. Twanix. Um, how are you today, Annette? Uh, decent. Good, good. Um, so, I mean, in terms of questions, I mean, I generally start at the beginning. So how how did you come to be working on game soundtracks and composing for them and performing on them? Um. My history actually spans before I got into actually working on them. Uh, my first experience ever scoring a video game was in the summer of 2012. So around this time, 10 years ago, on Newgrounds. Um, for a long time, Newgrounds did not host game jams because, well, Flash was on its way out, even then. and. Um, very many of the game, uh, very many of the game jams were kind of being taken over by itch or other such sites, and um, but those were uh, that was one of the few last few that I remember actually taking place um, on Newgrounds hosted by the staff, and you had a prompt, uh, like a se- like a series of concentric circles. This leads to this leads to this leads to this, and you have to design your mechanics based on that sort of um, that sort of flowchart if you would yeah um, and uh, we had three days and that that was my first instance of ever scoring a game now I've taken part in game jams and things on the regular uh, since 2020 the lockdown certainly helped it um, I had been on and off um, before that for the past few years uh, I uh, my site tronics.co.uk was briefly on in 2016. Yeah, I believe that was then, and I was contacted uh, through there to score the student game Leylines, and um, the the feature that I got in Epic Battle Fantasy V was from a long-standing contact and friend of mine over on Newgrounds, Purina. Yep. Who is the musician for the Epic Battle Fantasy series. Uh, she reached out to me, and uh, that's how I managed to, uh, to do a sanction track on the OST. Um, up, until, um, up until November of last year, all of this was done completely non-profit, really, yeah. um, due to legal constraints. Uh, but I've, you know, I've finally actually been working. I can finally say I've actually been working in video game uh, music since December. Oh, excellent. And uh, it's been quite a ride. <laughs> so in terms of like um, yourself, like what's your musical background? Did you, I mean, I remember reading on your website, you classically trained pianist. Um, yes. So like, was that sort of like through your childhood and growing up and is is that kind of a difficult to kind of well not necessarily difficult but more interesting to get into with video games having that knowledge compared to it depends i mean like you can i mean objectively you can have any musical background and uh, feasibly get into video game soundtracks and the rest of all or the rest of it is picking up different sort of workflows I was kind of forced into um, learning the piano. I mean, I love music. I didn't exactly object, but being forced to be constrained to play an instrument at a dilettantish level didn't exactly help me. Um, and besides, I was basically raised in a place where lots of musical influences and stories behind composers were basically censored, so my musical knowledge was really lacking until I finally made my way to the UK and uh, I wound up learning a lot since then uh, the whole classical training uh, it's a privilege and a non-privilege at the same time because it's a privilege that I got to start early and at the same time uh, going through abuse for it is not exactly uh, a fun thing but it did it did, inf- it did inform some of my musicianship because 
a lot of what I like are period and uh, liturgical things. So things that uh, you often hear in churches. And that's actually influenced my uh, musicianship to a large extent. Uh, Aside from that, it's the music of Arthur Nelagol. That's a huge influence of mine. And, um, And also the music of Enya and others who have similar similar sort of musicianship like um Kokia, Akiko Shikata, uh, these uh, these sorts of people. Um and the rest of it has just been from osmosis, wherever I've gotten it. Yeah. Um listening to people play, uh, listening to other game soundtracks and saying, oh, can I can I replicate the feel of what it is I'm hearing? If I can, great. So in terms of you mentioned um, before the uh, you worked on Ley Lines, that was like your first soundtrack you scored and wrote yourself. But so what? How how did that come about? Is it just uh, you mentioned they contacted you through your website? Um, yes. What sort of like was the the pitch for that? Because obviously it's a nice three D kind of adventure platform in puzzle game, so it's. Right. Uh, so ley lines. Um, I was approached on it. Uh, I was approached about it on Newgrounds, which uh, was my primary contact site at the time. Um, my website was only new. Um, I was sent an email through it as well, and well, I was curious about it. So when I asked, they came prepared. This team from the Florida Interactive Entertainment. Academy, I think is what it's called, but they came prepared. They had an alpha gameplay video. Uh, textures were not laid down, but there was somebody, one of their team, who was explaining the mechanics behind all of this, and I, it just felt intriguing to me. Um, so I thought, okay, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind scoring this. I. Um, or everybody was doing this as um, their, fi- their final year project, basically. And um, I, I, what I found really intriguing about it was that there was motion capture involved okay. as well. There was they they had access to pretty much everything that they needed to to get the game up and running and smooth. This was university, after all. And uh, I, I was just curious that approach me because even then I was conscious about the fact that I didn't know how to mix certainly back then Yeah, but they must have heard something in my musicianship uh, at that point there, there must have been something that they appreciated very much so I'm indebted to them for that um, they gave me a simple process that pretty much every game scorer uh, goes through with the developer. The developer gives you um, a certain reference track, says, can you replicate the feel of this, but also not entirely, just feel free to make it your own. And, uh, and you do your best to deliver. And uh, it, w- it was done through the summer of 2016, at least a lot of this correspondence, and finally it was released some months later. So with the... Um the guide tracks they sent was that just things from other games or was it like specific yeah pretty much yeah could you could you share what any of them were just to see like what what sort of where they were coming from with it or is it is it long gone in the memory i'm afraid it's long gone in the memory (laughs) i think the only the only thing that that still stands out to me right now is the the fact that i even did i even managed to do a lyrical track for for the, um, for the soundtrack and the lyrical track um, certainly is in keeping with my musicianship generally yeah so I had I had the um, the freedom to basically let rip with what I was like so there's that that much there were some open world games I don't remember what what they were exactly that we um, used reference tracks from um, that's pretty much all I remember. They certainly wanted that that wide open feeling that they got from those games. Yeah, even I, though the ga- even though the game itself was particularly linear. 
it's very uh, trying to when I was playing it the soundtrack is very I can't think of the best way to describe it but like I don't think breathy is the right thing like quite wide and textural and like you know felt like very very ambient but it like really suited it because it's like obviously the lovely nice designs in the caves caves the, I don't know they're not caves but whatever you're going through they kind, do... kind of are in a yeah. way yeah but like that sort of thing and it was like it sort of like had that sort of the same sort of way with like open world games where it's like oh it's you're exploring and there's unknowns and it's that sort of thing like going into a big thing not you know it's very very exploratory or however we're going to say that word today but yeah that's sort of like (laughs) discovering and very like yeah so Mm. like i found it suited it really well like but you i can also see that being used in like as as you said like an open world game and that's sort of like oh where we're going where what we're going to discover where we looking for things so yeah it works really well is that is there been like anything anything since that of like the people that did it i know you said it was for like their uh student work but they like been looking at doing anything in the future or getting yourself involved or i'm not sure to be honest i'm not even sure where they are now and i hope that i can still get in in touch with them so Maybe consider this a sort of um, clearing call to if any of you just happen to be listening to this <laughs> because uh, I miss you a lot and you probably, are, you, I don't know whether you're thinking about this project in a fond way or a cringeworthy way, but either which way, I certainly was enthralled by it. I certainly had fun from it and uh, I hope that you're doing stuff, cool stuff. Yeah. So, from there, like, in terms of when you, um, when you mentioned about getting into, like, writing things for games, like, soundtracks, were you, in inverted commas, a gamer before you started writing game soundtracks, or is it something that came about through happenstance? Oh, to a great, ex- <laughs> to a great extent, I was a gamer. I mean, my initial console was the DES. Um... Uh, I mean, where I grew up, uh, you could probably place me due to the fact that it's a hotbed of piracy still to this day. So, you know, very many of us were poor and video games weren't exactly uh, a supported medium where I grew up. So pirated consoles were pretty much a common thing, as were the games themselves. So many of us, myself, schoolmates around me, had access to all sorts of titles, including Famicom ones, which wouldn't normally be available. Uh, And I got enthralled by a lot of the music that was written for those. Uh, Kirby's Adventure wound up being one of my favorites for the NES, along with, uh, this is gonna sound like a guilty pleasure coming from me with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Um, And um, it wasn't my first console, I, I, no, actually, I take that back. It was my first console. My first gaming experience was for Amstrad CPC. Uh, I, I had Prince of Persia on Amstrad. Uh, no sound blaster though. So uh, you just had that single. You just had that single line of music. The, but the, the single line of music. But. The single line of music was memorable enough for it to basically get stuck in your head after a while. Um, and then from there um, came the PS2, which I uh, wound up having access to in 2002. And that, I think, made was the bulk of my gaming history and knowledge. Um, like, I, I chanced upon a load of games for that console, and so did a number of my school friends, and we wound up exchanging them, sometimes never returning games to each other, which is kind of typical. (laughs) Um, Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy, those were the games I especially enjoyed playing. Um, I enjoyed Suikoden 4. I did get some of the later consoles. I mean, I have the PS3 and 4, uh, and I do have a Switch. But the games that I get now, I get them 
really sparingly. It has to... I need to have a motivation to play it. Yeah. Otherwise, I can't justify sinking away um, hours into into those games, especially since the bulk of my the bulk of my time is um, working as a freelance musician. It's the bad part about being an adult. You have to have to work and do adult things, and you can't just play games all the time. Pretty much. <laughs> So you mentioned um, the track you did for Epic Battle Fantasy V. Um, so that was yeah. was that a, a a cover remix of like a vocal cover remix of one of the existing tracks? Yes, it was a vocal cover of um, the original "A Breeze from Home," which Fiona wrote. Now, um, the original "A Breeze from Home" would have probably been in what would be World Five of that game. So. It was a nice midpoint song. Uh, it was a point uh, for you to basically relax after all the tension and constant battling that you had to go through. And then what I did, I was informed that it would be for a super boss. I wasn't exactly informed where it would be at first. That would come later. That would come later with the paid version, which I uh, I did get because I liked the game so much. I wanted to support the creators, um, and um, I was pretty pleased with what I saw in the end. I uh, I especially was pleased with what people said about it because yeah. this was around the time Farina was trying something new. She'd never actually done lyrical themes in her games before. Everything was instrumental. She was... This was a shot in the dark for her, just as it was for me. Um, for my part, I was just getting involved with um, the first of two bands that I'm in, and I got, in, I got pretty much immersed in the musicianship of my other bandmates, so I was basically borrowing from them a lot. I don't play guitar very well. I made a lot of mistakes with my guitar playing that I basically had to layer a MIDI track over it just for it to sound remotely uniform. Um, but I did play bass. Um, that was that was much more confident. But it was just a lot of it was hearing what my other bandmates did and yeah. hoping that I got it okay, hoping that I got it okay. So it, that was was that just a case of this is the original song. We want you to do a lyrical version, and that was that was the brief. Basically, off you go. Um, the I was given an idea of the feel because the the original is pretty sprightly. I mean, the uh, Firda told me that um, she wanted it to feel wistful. She wanted it to be more acoustic in its feel, like folky in its feel, which immediately told me what sort of instrumentation I needed. Yeah. Um, orchestral swells were expected to be a thing, which personally I was fine with um, orchestral swells as the song progressed. And um, the rest of it was up to me, how I, uh, how I wanted to do it. Um, I was... A long time trying to write those, uh, trying to write those lyrics, and um, I think I wrote like the first verse of it one month, and then abandoned it for another two months, and then came back to it, wrote the other two, uh, the the remaining two verses. Then when the time came for me to actually record vocals, I was actually sick with a cold, so I was crooning basically rather than singing <laughs> um, but yeah um, it seems to have gone down well uh, with listeners so I'm, I'm quite grateful for that Is there anything in the pipeline for more more covers or or tracks with them or as like that series progresses I mean I'm I'm not overly familiar with the series but I know the one you worked on was five mm. so i don't know if there's ebf ebf has been a new ground staple since the very beginning 
Uh, and uh, it's really only from EBF2 that they started having, well, canonically from EBF2 that they started having original music. EBF1 now does have original music, but that's been for the remaster rather than the Newgrounds original. That said, um, that's not the only Epic Battle Fantasy related cover I've done. Um, on YouTube, there is a cover of Underwater Grosso that I did in French, uh, which seems to have gone down well. And the music for that was used as a for a montage of... Um, it was an art competition for the 13th anniversary of the series that went on in May. Uh, and all the entries were shown, including mine, because I actually did take part in said art contest. Oh, nice. Uh, got, got second place. Um, so that that particular cover was used there. Um, um, there was also a 10th anniversary um, compilation of the series, and I did another cover. It was basically of a title theme slash map theme called Estavius that originated all the way back from EPF3. And uh, that one I was requested to do so by Firina herself. Um, and that too had a very acoustic folky feel, uh, but, um, almost like a Celtic folky feel, which I uh, which I can get behind. Um, I hope to do some more because one thing I find about Fiona's music is that um, melody is a stronger suit, and when you've got a strong melody, you can basically make absolute bangers out of it. Um, sometimes even sometimes even change the tonality underneath it and you get uh, some really magical things happening there. I'm I'm pretty sure she knows that because of the amount of people telling her, but I feel it should be said, she's got some magic um, Worked on uh, on those keys of hers whenever she does uh, whenever she does music for the EBF series, and uh, every time I do every time I do something like that, I just hope I give it justice. But she seems to think it does, so I got that to go on, and uh, I keep hoping that that's the case. Still, and it's always if someone keeps coming back for you, then obviously you're doing something right. <laughs> So with, you mentioned that you've, um, on the epic Battle Fantasy track that you like play guitar and bass, in terms of your sort of audio setup, do you, is it generally you try and go for like live recording real instruments or is it what fits the job, like do you, do you generally write a, a piano guitar or and then go from there and put it into a, a door or I um I write on the piano. Um I mean that's one of my stronger instruments. Um I almost I almost universally write on the piano except when the piano is not required for a particular track at all. In that case my workflow would change. Um the flow that I have for game jams varies massively from the flow that I'd have writing any other track, basically. Because with the, the flow that I have for game jams, I basically load up some software defaults, things that won't consume that much RAM or that much space, uh, compose quickly, produ um, mixing be damned. <laughs> I can try, I can try and do it well. But if we're under a strict time constraint, like say of three days, I'm like, um, the important thing right now is for me to actually get a loopable track that fits the feel. And I may not be able to sit down and tweak uh, mixing knobs at the moment. Uh, everything runs through FL20, which I have. Um, for more complex tracks, things that take more time, I can... Uh, take time with my instrument choice, I can take time with preparing the mix. I generally don't spend anything on VSTs unless I know I absolutely need them. I, I'm not an instrument hoarder. <laughs> I've, 
unlike very many of my friends that I know. Um, I'm just not, it's just physical instruments, yes. Not virtual instruments. I'm not a VST hoarder. Um, like, if, if it's free and it does the job well, and if it's uh, an effect, if if it has an effect that I can't mitigate with TDR Nova or Soothe or anything similar, I'm generally fine with that. Um, and I've come, I've, I've basically come to have a certain sound anyway, uh, a certain warmth in my tracks that because my current instrumentation seems to suit. Um, if an instrument requires more instruments, say guitar, bass, drums, uh, guitar and bass, I wind up recording here, um, recording straight into FR or through Audacity, um, and then importing the tracks in there. If um, I don't have space for a drum kit or not one that I can record anyway, yeah. Um, so if I need recordings for kits, I wound up going to a community center near me called Sound Skills. Um, the studio is free to use on certain days as part of the community outreach uh, music group that they run. And I'm part of said music group. So um, whenever something comes up for me to record kit, I try and take that particular day so as to not take anyone else's time. So in terms of obviously, as well as playing piano, obviously that you mentioned before, also drums and percussion is is something else that you you do proficiently and very well. Um, so yeah, do you, do you like is that one? But I mean, I feel, I mean, this may just be personally and the games I play, but like a lot of games tend to have digital drums, and do you feel like that you always want to just get the get as much real drums into things as possible for that like more kind of warmth and authentic sound it, it depends i think if you're writing chip tune um chances are you're not going to be able to especially if you're writing under a time constraint chances yeah. are you're not going to be able to record drums and then bit crush them it would be great if you could but uh, that's a lot of effort for something that should be fairly minimal and low-key and yeah. things of that nature. Um, but there have been many tracks. There have been many tracks that I've drummed along to, or just otherwise wished that it's been more com uh, more complex. And then there have been tracks that I've drummed to that I can that I could keep up with, but I respect that they actually did what they did, like. A lot of the persona tracks because of course jazz i am a jazz drummer that is my training um so um it does vary i i do appreciate the the sensations um and the sounds that percussion gives me so i try to do it live as much as i possibly can obviously neighbors permitting this is a council flat. These are paper thin walls. Neighbors are going to be complaining. <laughs> so, you know, all of this has to be taken into account. Um, you know, what that I have, um, what that I had a personal space to be able to do that. But I have to make do with the constraints around me uh, for the time being. But whatever I do within these constraints, I get by gonna say like figures you're not if you've got a what you mentioned before a free day game jam you're not gonna have to by the time you've actually set up a drum kit for recording that's probably you know a good chunk of that time gone anyway 40 minutes <laughs> or thereabouts yeah and that's and that's making sure it's comfortable for me to play first then setting up mics then arming the necessary tracks for recording so yeah, it, there is a lot of time and effort that goes into it. And definitely, I mean, I don't. It's been a very long time since I've had to record any live drums, and I don't begrudge that. So, if you you mentioned that you um, like done quite a, a few game jams and things, is there any of them that you worked on that you would like to have like had more chance to develop into a a bigger thing? 
like without the time constraints like work on it and make it a a more complete thing than that oh yes oh absolutely um in uh i believe it was december last year we had the care jam uh that was run by coke coven and um there were a number of us who developed a pretty heartwarming game that i'm pretty sure you saw the preview of called yeah. hearten uh, there was an incomplete build that was left on itch.io and I sincerely wish that we were able to do something much more complete. Um, as it happened, I happened to meet the the writer of that game, Charlotte Pang, um, when I was visiting Scotland. Um, she's based there now. And um, we were talking about this game in particular and uh, just how much we'd like to actually, if ever possible, revisit it or just complete it and just make it something. Because there's some, there's the storyline just made me cry. This, the the entire scenario, dialogues, everything else was written. You know, for want of a committed, dedicated programmer, we were just unable to finish this. So all we basically needed was somebody to tie these assets together. And I, I would like to see that uh, come to completion. Um, that's the one I would say the most. Yeah. There was um, I don't remember which jam this this other one was for GMTK. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, but it was yeah. It, the theme of that particular game jam was boss. Now that's a game jab I've not actually um, put on my website, but it, it's present on itch.io, my itch anyway. Um, the theme of it was boss, and uh, it was around October, so necessarily it went for a bit of a Halloween uh, Halloween event. Uh, I the the theme that I wrote was actually an expansion of the themes that I wrote for Haunted Yard, so it was basically called the Haunted Yard Suite. I had too little time to even write it. No way was I going to mix it properly. <laughs> uh, I want um, the game itself seems playable, but the only thing I want to finish of that is to actually revisit the haunted yard suite and finish it up properly yeah. because the time constraint did not allow me to do that. So as well as um, obviously your track on Apple Bucket, Apple. Oh. Epic, <laughs> epic battle fantasy um you did you uh did some vocals for the ravita soundtrack yes yes i did yeah so how, how how did that come about was that just another one for your website or was that from other work no. you've done uh so i was involved in beats to play games too which is a server that joins a lot of um then joins a lot of um, video game musicians and sound designers. I was encouraged to join this um, after taking part in the second to last ever uh, 21 days of EGM, which was the thing that I thought I would do at the start of the first lockdown to tide myself over. Um, there were people who liked what I do. One of them encouraged me to join Beats, and I did. One of the friends I would eventually meet there was uh, Christoph Jacob, um, who would go on to score the soundtrack of Revita. Um, now, he was eager to have me on as soon as he found out that uh, I could finally take gainful employment starting in November. And um, he wanted at least to feature some vocals of mine. This was a project for which he had quite a lot of involvement from other friends. There were people doing guitar, drums, bass, basically session players. The, the team had the budget to do so, which he was quite grateful for. So a number of our friends also got involved in this for various different tracks. So my particular involvement for this was in the, the final boss theme for Mother and the credits theme. But I also did the the voice acting okay, for cool. the final boss mother. Yeah, so her voice is basically mine. 
that was my first a- actual professional instance of voice acting, like ever. Um, I wasn't really sure how well I'd deliver, but it seems to have gone down well with Christoph and with Ben Starr, who's the developer. So um, I'm not complaining. <laughs> can can put it on the website and more more voice acting work as well. I suppose so. It's just my my website's due for a re- for a revisit at this point because. I um my primary thing is um video game music. I think one of the things that people have basically told me is that needs to be front and center. Everything else, if you can help it, you know, let people discover it on their own as sort of extras yeah. to um to that, if you will. So um I'm I am contemplating that and I am certainly contemplating a uh, complete overhaul of it at some point this year. But, yeah, um, another feather in my cap, I suppose. So, I mean, you you mentioned a few bits before, but in terms of, like, your general musical influences, what what sort of um, what sort of thing do you listen to on a day-to-day basis, like just soundtrack or otherwise? Um, I don't often listen to things on a day-to-day basis. It's just things that I pick up from... Uh, uh, whenever I'm traveling with my bandmates, um, I listen to a lot of um, JJ Kale, Steely Dan, um, Lowell George, very feelsy, bluesy, folky musicians um, with some really nice playing going on in the background as well. So I have that to influence me. Um, I mentioned the soundtrack of the Art Nelico games. Very heavily vocal layered, very lush. That's the bulk of my sound right now. Um, my singing voice, is, the way it is right now, is down to partly down to Artanelico and partly down to the fact that I was trained as a chorister. Not exactly formally trained, but I've had experience as a chorister for eight years. So it does develop its own kind of voice. Yeah. Um, and then I really enjoy. I really do enjoy uh, Enya Kokia. Um, anything else I wind up listening to on recommendation at this point, or just osmosis from the games I play. Um, recently been playing um, Splatoon 2 and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 so I've been picking up bits and pieces of influence from those two soundtracks Um, there are different things that would basically come to mind at different points in time Uh, I like anything that's got a great sense of feel to it if you will um, I'm not, and feel is something that is just generally difficult to describe to anybody who's tried to ask me what is feel, what makes this track actually any different from the from the next one, because I get where they're coming from if they're not listen, if they're just listening to it uh, from an analytical standpoint more than anything else. If you're just breaking things down. Um, breaking things down is there, but there's also the emotional component to it that I can't necessarily explain very well. Yeah. I mean, there's... I can't think of examples, but there's definitely songs I love. And if someone asks me why, it's just like, well, it's just nice. It's, it makes me feel this. And it's like, oh, but this, you know, this instrumentation's not that great. And it's like, yeah, I know, but it just, I like it. And it makes me feel happy or it makes me feel these emotions and I can't really explain why I mean I do feel that the delivery of it has something to do with it because you can play a particular track say something that's simple uh, you can play it clinically and it would sound as clinical as possible and then you can play it with a lot of push pull with a lot of rubato with uh, basically pouring out your emotions at any given time and it would sound that way. Um, 
So, yeah, I do feel delivery is part of it. I mean, there are certain musical devices that do do things to you emotionally, like certain orchestration techniques, um, certain melodic rises. A lot of melody writing is based in speech. The stresses that happen naturally in words uh, so there's that to take into account, just how natural it sounds, and then whether or not it accentuates that. There are all these little, little, little things that go on in the background, and when you get to a certain point in your musicianship and your songwriting, you do deconstruct all of these, but you deconstruct maybe a part of it in the hopes that the next person's going to be able to understand. That's the thing, is like, it kind of goes back to when um about like using live instrumentation as opposed to samples and that's something you can you can't get a sample is just playing back a note when you you know play it and then it, it's that note as it was recorded and you can never kind of get that sort of dynamics of someone playing if they're playing it very clinically or you know if they're they're playing it very that way and it's it just adds that different dynamics to a degree that is doable though because I've heard I've really only heard one person in my entire circle of friends who has been able to wield samples like an actual live orchestra mm-hmm. you wonder you wonder where he's got that knowledge that experience from but that's just experimentation more than anything else. Uh, he's um, L.D. Wharton and uh, you wonder where the live orchestra came from at this point in time just by hearing a lot of what he scored virtually. There are few who can do that but then there's also a lot of time, uh, a lot of CPU usage, and, you know, for the most of us, we're trying to do things that are expedient to us, things that hit hard emotionally, but also work well with the resources that we have. And if it's going to be beyond our beings, we'll be like, eh, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, to, to like, do use a, a full orchestra of samples... I can't, I can't imagine the sort of CPU usage you would do if you've got that all rendering at the same time and playing back. I think I think there'd be small fires coming out of my laptop. So you you alluded to two of the games um, you were playing at the minute, um, Splatoon 2 and Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I mean, we can talk at length about Xenoblade Chronicles 2 because that's one of my favourite games. Is there anything else you're playing at the moment at all? Or? Um... Not at the moment. Um, before those two games, I sank a lot of hours into Final Fantasy XV, and it's the single it's the single game that I've actually ever platinumed. I did. It's I can't think what they call it. Uh, the Xbox equivalent of that is what I did. It was. I mean, it gets it gets a hard time from people because I think it's just different from a Final Fantasy game that everyone expects but I really enjoyed it I thought it was a really good game and I really enjoyed like the open world as well I thought it was very very well fleshed out Mm. I mean I came into it from uh, Kingdom Hearts I mean as a long time Kingdom Hearts player so the actual battle system was it was useful it was actually pretty um instinctive yeah. for me to pick up it uh, and in very many ways it actually felt a lot more polished than some of the Kingdom Hearts games I've played so it was just kind of like Kingdom Hearts mechanics done right in many ways um, there was also the fact that uh, I mean soundtrack wise it, it's good I wouldn't it's hard for me to rank it at necessarily the top because the top for me soundtrack wise is Final Fantasy X2. Like they introduced all the feelsy sounds. Uh, like they, that was the first. Yeah. 
but Final Fantasy XV is up there, fairly up there for me. Um, I think what really barked me is that I've played many games in the series. I've briefly played Seven. I've played a Seven remake. I've played Ten. I've played Ten Two. I've played Twelve, Thirteen, and now Fifteen. And Fifteen is the single game in the series that has made me cry multiple times, and across different languages. Uh, uh, as a point of interest, French is a second language of mine, and I am in the midst of learning German because my husband's learning German. And I do understand smatterings of Japanese, and all these four languages have localization, have voiced localizations. And even from understanding little bits and pieces, putting two and two together, and kind of figuring out what's going on, it still hits you hard and in new ways each time. I did, yeah. I mean. I can only understand English, so I'll have to take your word for that. But, I mean, I did find the voice acting to be very moving, I think, because, so, going back, uh, like, the first sort of Final Fantasy game I played that had voice acting was Ten, and it's... I mean, the bit of the the laughing scene aside, I did... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it just it felt like very wooden and a bit comical and i mean i loved it it was it was cheesy and it was fun but it kind of felt it hard to get too emotionally attached to it because it, everything just kind of seemed a bit a bit like over the top and cheesy whereas like 15 felt very very authentic and you know you there was various scenes where trying not to spoil the game too much but like you could you could feel the people involved in in the voice acting mm-hmm. were were portraying the emotions of the 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 situation very well and it it felt a lot more believable than oh yeah things have before. I mean, ten felt like it was just full of stereotypes. I mean, to to um to put it into perspective, FF ten no F. Final Fantasy generally is humanism in a nutshell. Uh, Final Fantasy X to me was just filled with stereotypes, like everywhere, everywhere that I could see them. And it's it's hard for me to point them out to the general audience because these are things that they don't necessarily um, understand. They're just seeing it in the peripheries and thinking that's that's perfectly normal. That's like normal storytelling to me. It's just not. It feels wooden to me. Uh, but uh, I think the other thing that really helped the immersion for me is Final Fantasy Fifteen basically said, um, "Guys, religious humanism exists." <laughs> so that that like, I bet I must have latched on to it, knowing the themes from the get go, and then the. The voice acting, the storytelling, the music basically just added layer upon layer upon layer of uh, <laughs> just, just, just let me drown in a box of tissues and some <laughs> ice cream, please. Uh, I mean, it's been, I can't remember what I played it. I think I played it the year after it came out. So I'd like to say it's due a revisit, but the amount of games it's hard to justify going back and playing another rpg mm-hmm. but so with um with xenoblade chronicles 2 have, did you play have you played the original xenoblade chronicles i have but i haven't finished it i okay. think i was i've been stuck in gar plane let's just put it there um <laughs> so it's fairly early game yeah i think what I did do, I watched um, Chuka Conroy's playthroughs of both games. Uh, watching the playthrough of Xenoblade 2 actually did help me with my own playthroughs of the game because it was explained from the get-go the tutorials in the base game were poorly written. Uh, so you basically had to figure it all out yourself or watch playthroughs or just rely on the wikis. Uh, that was it, really. Um, 
I did did find the same where it's uh, I think it was probably about twenty hours through into it, and I did something, and it's kind of like comes up with all the combo-y stuff. And it's like, oh, what have I just done? I didn't know I could do that. That's <laughs> awesome. And then yeah, just kind of learn it from there. And it's like I'm sure I'm sure most games have a tutorial explaining this, but I don't don't think it did it very well. And <laughs> I don't know whether this is a running theme across Xeno games generally, but before. The Xenoblade games, I did play Xenosaga 1 and 2. I never played 3. Um, and the, at least the, at least for me, those two games did have a sense of... It was a battle system that probably would have matured really well, but was very hard to get to uh, early to mid-game. And these were really long games as well. Oh, yeah. So... It was hard. It was hard to get into, and if you didn't have a guide, or if you didn't have, if you were just playing this blind, you uh, you had no idea how well you were doing. You had no idea what items would be useful, whether you needed to keep them, whether you needed to use them to help your characters, anything like that. Xenoblade Chronicles Two felt like Xenosaga all over again for me, battle system wise. I did find, yeah, is sort of like when you have the the chain attacks. It just said you can do a chain attack, but it didn't tell you what you need to do to get these combos and stuff. And then it's only after doing it a little bit, it's like, oh, there's color coded stuff, and then I do the attacks. Oh, now I get it. And it's just like, sure, surely, like tutorials explain this. That's the point. And you know, when when you you have new new combat mechanics brought into a game 20 hours into it and it's just like oh there's, there's no need for that they brought new combat mechanics even close to the end of the game <laughs> not to spoil anybody but that's just because of plot devices more than anything else so I mean as a game that's as a game whose battle system is constantly evolving that's nice to see uh, and as you get into late stages, it does feel a lot more natural, but it is a slog early on. Yeah, definitely is. I mean, going back to um, what I think one of the things I really love about Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is, and, and the first game, and probably 3 when it comes out, is just the voice acting, the fact that instead of just having everyone's got an American actor it's like you know you've got Australian oh, you've yeah. got Welsh you've got Scottish accents and it's just so much going on it's just uh, I just I just love it it's it's so nice hearing Welsh accents in a in a in a game it doesn't happen very often it really it really made me happy because uh, Rex is the first like widely known video game protagonist to have a northern accent of any kind yeah which like for reference i'm based in lancashire so uh yeah that's representation right there it's just i just you find it odd when you play games especially rpgs where it's like oh here we, we visit every corner of the planet and then everyone has the same accent it's like oh, it's yeah. not it's not how this works <laughs> and then yeah xenoblade chronicles is just everyone has different accents depending on the different massive thing they live on i think it really did help because um nintendo of america practically gave up on that game it was nintendo of europe yeah that took on the localization tasks and it made it the memorable thing that it is in more ways than one and it just listening to the intro of uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 1 where Shulk was explaining about the Bionis and the Mekonis and the origin story of the like, I was just blown away from the first line because I thought to myself, right that's our accents front and centre It's just so, yeah, it's just you're not used to hearing it and then I mean the closest you have is you have that some games have that very stereotypical British accent, you know the posh uh, one, yeah. the posh one that that all all people 
when there's we speak yeah and it's just (laughs) and it's like that very proper one and it's normally like a very very well-spoken character that seems friendly and turns out to be evil Mm. basically if you play a game and someone's got a very strong posh british accent they're gonna betray you at some point (laughs) except if it's final fantasy 15 and except if that character is ignis that's true that is there's there's (laughs) always an exception yeah although i i mean to be fair I mean, that's great, though at some point I would love to hear other regional accents as well because, like, there's a huge diversity of them. Like, I've lost my... I've lost the accent I've grown up with. Um, and that would be nice to hear from uh, from a mainstream game, to hear accents from South, from South or East... Uh, South or Southeast Asia to hear it from the entire African continent um, or South America just to and in the positive context as well even in a fantasy context I want to hear these yeah there's it very many of them are so they've got a melodic quality about them that I can't even describe and we'd be poorer for not listening to them for not recognizing them I mean, that's the other other thing is with with fantasy games, you're literally making a world. So mm. surely people can have any accent, and if you want to turn around and be like, "I'm making this fantasy world," and everyone has a generic accent, it's like, well, why? <laughs> such a, <laughs> such a waste of an opportunity to, especially like you know, if it's fantasy, you don't need to link it to. Obviously, it'd be nice to, but you don't need to like try and work in any sort of reason these people have this accent and stuff whereas you know if it's based upon a real life thing then maybe you, you would kind of have to justify it a bit more but also then you know probably end up getting people getting the wrong side of it and yeah doing it i mean wrong. you could do it like you could do it like xenoblade in a way because like I mean, not all worlds have this, but Gormot has very many Welsh names, along with the actual accents to go with. So, yeah. um, and then Morardain, heck, the name of it is. Uh, oh, I'd say very Scottish. Based on the, based on the Scottish Gaelic, anyway. Uh, and just, just seeing it's it's a lot of it is just seeing and hearing, knowing it, uh, the, seeing and hearing it in context. And seeing and hearing things in context just makes it even more believable. It does work quite well with Gormop being the very grassy, hilly titan as well. Ah, the rolling hills. Yeah. The rolling hills filled with sheep. (laughs) Or those weird... Oh, what are they called? They do have the the things that are kind of sheep but not sheep in it. I fear I may get down a massive, massive, like... Pits of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and want to play it again. And What, Armus? That's the ones. Yeah, they're it. Ah, oh, it's basically just whales. Whales with feet. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got cat ears for some reason. Yeah, I never got that biological feature. No, I don't think they really explain it. I just. It just happened. They just evolved to have cat ears. I don't even like they I don't don't want to do a spoiler thing. They kind of explain a lot of it at the end of the game, but I still don't think they explain that bit. No, no, uh. no, not at all. <sighs> Fun memories. Ah, oh, I know. <laughs> oh. So, going to have to stop talking about that. <laughs> Cuz could literally go on for hours. So, with yourself, talked about obviously the past and the present. What's um, what's for the future for yourself? Are you working on any, any games at the moment? I think Mystique Meetup is M- Mythic Meetup. Oh, yes. Mythic. My bad. Uh, sorry. No worries. Um, so Autumn Jam is going on at the moment, and the deadline for it is tomorrow, I believe. And uh, you're basically meant to be making a dating sim sort of thing the visual novel sort of thing and um i was 
myself along with Prog Maro, uh, we uh, we were both musicians brought in by Smoke Mirror Studios, who's the producer of this game. And, and the team is actually pretty sizable. Um, at one programmer, several voice talents, like several. At two musicians, one audio lead who does sound effects. Um, lots of writers as well. So this thing took upwards of two months and um, there have been little snippets of the game and its voice acting and its audio and its artwork uh, released by Smoke Mirror Studios to the public. Um, so that should hopefully be out soon. Um, it is on track to being released and uh, I hope there, I hope it goes okay. I hope there aren't any last minute hitches. Um, there is um, um, a small untitled game that I'm scoring at the moment. Uh, can't really reveal very many details about it right now. Um, and um, some projects of my friends that I'm involved in, because uh, I get involved in video game covers of my friends as well. I do lend session work, uh, whether it's vocals or drums. Uh, aside from that, it's too soon for me to tell, uh, like what what what's ahead. Um, I am going to develop Brighton uh, in mid July, so I probably might meet some of you there. Um, I'm not going to be attending the keynote speeches and things like that. I think I'm just there for the networking, the after parties, <laughs> uh, and just generally having fun. And getting in touch with people. Um, that's going to be my thing. Uh, so that's that's something I've been looking forward to. Um, it's rare for me to go to conferences because of the rising costs. And I think it would be much harder starting from October to actually attend any of these in person. But um, this is one that I hope will be a good experience for me. Um, aside from that, I'm just taking it as it comes, basically, whether it's a new solar release or um, anything with the, anything with uh, the two bands that I'm performing in or game soundtracks or anything of that sort. So the best place for people to keep up with things you're working on be your website and Twitter? My website, Twitter and Possibly also Newgrounds. Yeah, and then with um, with the game you're working on Mythic Meetup, is that going to be released on Itch or is that on Newgrounds? Yes, going, it is. Uh, It'll be on Itch to IO. I did suggest Newgrounds, so they are certainly considering that. Um, the I think the game will basically be released on Itch as um, pay how much you want. Yeah, uh, as a means of supporting the team. And uh, but yeah, that's something that uh, I'm, I'm eager to see because I, I I actually tuned in to certain voice calls where we mostly muted ourselves while the actual voice acting was going on. Oh, cool! So, yeah, so I got to hear quite a bit behind the scenes of it. Just the general the general air of it has been supportive and and very nurturing all around. So that's. Me, that makes me especially happy to to see it come to fruition. I hope it happens. Yeah. In every 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 possible good way. There's always something nice about working on something with people that have the right motivation and vibe towards it. That they, you know, they're they're working on something because they want to make the best thing, and it all seems very supportive and happy for for lack mm. of a better way of explaining it so with um i mean i think that kind of has got to the end of the questions i have for yourself um is there anything you would like to talk about at all uh i i, I can't think of anything just now um <laughs> it's it's hard for me to come up with talking points to be <laughs> honest um the i mean the only other thing worth mentioning is uh 
my last solo release um, was a track called Glass Rainbow, which came out um, five days ago. Yeah. Um, aside from that, I guess um, I guess I just want to throw this out there. Like, sincere thanks to all of you who've been listening to and keeping up with my stuff so far. Like, I'm struggling to keep up with it myself at the best of times. Um, but it heartens me to see very many of the encouraging things that you've said. And uh, thank you for pretty much everything. And um, there's many of you that I'd like to collaborate with and work with down the line. I don't know if we'll necessarily have that opportunity, but I'd like for it to happen. And I hope it does in some way, shape or form. I hope it does too. Um, so with your newest release, is that available through your Bandcamp? Yes. Yes. So I'll, um, I'll pop a link in the episode description as well if people did want to go there and check that out and enjoy that. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and best of luck for the future and the upcoming releases. Thank you very much. Um, all the best to you as well. I mean, this seems to have been going on for quite a while, so I hope it goes. I hope it continues to go strong. And I once again like to thank uh, Twanix for taking the time out of their schedule to chat to myself. Uh, you can find more details out on their website and Twitter that I will leave links to in the bio, as well as links to all the get. Uh, places the games are available i'd like to thank you very much for listening as normal we'll be back in two weeks for another episode 